we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. so uh, good to be with you. I, I really trust that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends, eating lots of food and not feeling all that guilty about it at the end of the day, probably fasting on Friday. Anyone, anyone you fasted on Friday, anybody? No one, maybe it was just, no, I didn't fast on Friday either. <laughs> Listen, uh, it is good to be with you. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for joining us in worship. We know it's no small thing to walk into an unknown place among unknown people, but we hope you already know that you are welcome in this place um, and that we want to treasure and follow Jesus. Hope you already get a sense of that. If you are new uh, to us this morning, would you go to fbcsa.org slash connect and let us know that you were with us this morning. It's the simplest way just to say, hey, I was here and I worship with you and, and would like to connect with you at a later time, and we want to be faithful uh, to do that. Let me also encourage you to uh, continue to give as an act of worship. Uh, we give um, because we entrust all of who we are to the Lord because he has given all uh, that we have. And so we just give a portion back and say, Lord, we exalt you and trust you. And you can do that by going to fpcsa.org slash give, or you can even do that in the room. We have little um, bins around the room where you can do that. But thank, thank you so much for worship. And I'm grateful we get to do that together. Well, um, we are completing or finishing two things this week. One, we are wrapping up our series in James. And we will begin um, a, a 13-week long look at the parables of Luke. Um, and that begins next week, super excited. We're also completing our time with an emphasis on discipleship. The past four weeks, we've talked about what does discipleship look like in the life of the believer in We've been able to use these last few um, passages in James, in chapter four and chapter five, and James gives us a picture of this kind of undivided life that requires that we have the kind of friendships and relationships with one another. If you remember, um, I, I gave that analogy of being tethered to one another. Remember those Olympic runners, the blind Olympic runner who is tethered to a seeing Olympic runner? They were tethered together because um, they need each other along the way. And, and James kind of paints that picture for us as well, that we tether ourselves to one another. We bind ourselves to one another because we share the trajectory that Jesus has for us to bear fruit, right? Uh, to look more and more like him as we follow him and obey him. So we gotta bind ourselves to each other. And uh, the past two weeks, we've talked about how we don't need to grumble about each other. We need to encourage each other because the time that we live in is, is tough. We don't live in a, an easy time. We're reminded every day of the brokenness in our world. We're reminded of our own sin. And so uh, we need 
someone to speak into our life with encouraging words. Last week we're reminded, gosh, a part of those kind of friendships and being tethered to one another includes confessing sin to each other. We don't do that all that well, do we? But that's the kind of life James has been painting for us. And he said, pray with one another and for one another. When we go to the Lord with confidence that he alone can meet the needs that we have, it's, it's there and most likely there that God will bring the healing that we need because we have that kind of God. And we go to him with, with faithfulness, knowing that he answers and is able to answer our prayer. Where this morning is no different as we wrap up the series on discipleship and in the book of James He continues to paint this picture of the kind of relationships we are called to have with one another. Let me just tell you right off the bat where we're going. It's only two verses, and we're going to read those in a moment, but let me tell you where we're going. James says to us that when we are responsible to and for one another, and when we take the kind of initiatives in this friendship with one another that we will consistently lead our friends to forgiveness in real life. That it's in those kind of relationships that we experience real life as we're reminded of the promises of God and hold on to them. And we experience the forgiveness that is promised to us in Jesus. We experience those in those kind of responsible friendships. So with that said, let's stand together. We're gonna read James chapter five, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Father, we trust your word. Help us to believe your word and follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Awesome. So in these verses, there's this sense, and not just here, but the verses that we've been walking through in James, that there's a sense that there is a deep responsibility that we have towards one another. In these two verses, um, we see that this scenario where someone has wandered from the truth, right? That they have gone down a different path, gone their own way, therefore short season or whatever, but they've wandered from the truth, and, and someone clearly has gone after them. And that someone felt a responsibility to go after the brother or sister who is wandering from the truth. And so indirectly, these verses, I think, convey to us that there is a deep sense of responsibility that we should have towards one another and for one another. Uh, that we should have those kinds of friendships that we know where each other are, that we can identify when someone is wandering from the truth. We're, We're close enough and responsible enough in our friendships to be able to say, okay, someone... Someone needs to step in and intercede and intervene for this person, being responsible for them and cultivating that kind of friendship. You know, it's more than all this, right? It's more than, that kind of picture is more than us gathering in a place for worship, which is good. God calls us to do this. Jesus did it every week. He gathered in synagogue for worship. This is significant, right? We're called to be 
worshipers, a people who exalt um, the Father, the Son, and Spirit together. And goodness gracious, Sunday school has tremendous value, but we know the kind of responsibility and friendships that James is talking about goes far beyond what we experience when we gather here, doesn't it? Uh, even Pastor Bobby said, you know, it, it's the six other days of the week. Uh, it, it's not just me preaching and you receiving, or it's not just someone teaching and you receiving. That's good, and that's valuable, and that's a part of this discipleship process, but much of that discipleship process extends far beyond what we normally experience or what we call church. It's in those organic, intentional friendships where we've are responsible towards one another in those other days of the week where we speak life and confess sin and hold each other accountable. That's what James is talking about. It's more than this. And Jesus painted that picture for us when he um, met with his disciples, walked with his disciples, taught his disciples. I referred to this passage several weeks ago because I think it's the picture of how in the world we bear the kind of fruit God's called us to bear. In John chapter 15, um, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he says, listen, I, I, have, I have a plan for you. My goal for you is that you bear lots of fruit, right? And then he says something like this. I want you to know that I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. And, and the kind of the gist of what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, the way that I'm gonna get you there to bear much fruit is in this relationship that I've chosen to have with you. I have given all of myself and my friendship to you, right? I've poured all of myself into you. I've bound myself to you. I've tethered myself to you. And it's in that context that fruit takes shape, that discipleship process. And so Jesus really laid the foundations for what James is giving emphasis to over and over again in these last two chapters in this letter. He's saying, listen, I want you to have that kind of responsible friendships with one another, uh, that you're close enough and present enough in each other's life that you are willing to be vulnerable. And even more than that, that you understand and feel the weight of the responsibility to care for each other in those kind of ways. But I think we all could admit that even in our church culture, and First Baptist is not alone in this, is that we don't do that all that well, do we? We really wrestle with, especially in, in chapter five, verse 19, where um, you know, James says to us, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that that, that whomever brings the sinner back, that, that part of having to, go and go after the person who has wandered from the truth. We don't do that well. That kind of makes us anxious. Uh, it makes us feel insecure. We, we, you know, we kind of want to keep to ourselves, and there's this kind of notion in the Western Christian world, our, our church culture, that your spiritual life is your spiritual life. My spiritual life is my spiritual life. You just don't cross that line. You don't judge me, Right? Who are you to, to call out my sin? We don't do that all that well. Uh, we don't confess sin to one another all that well. Most of us don't have that kind of normal rhythm in our life where we've nurtured those kind of friendships where we really 
trust each other enough to do that, right? But, but Pastor James won't let us get by with that. He, he's not saying that, you know, praying with and for one another and encouraging each other and confessing sin to one another and in this case, holding each other accountable. He's not, he's not offering that as a suggestion. Like, this could be a really good idea. He, you know, he's saying, listen, those are the kind of, that's the kind of culture you should have. Uh, those are the kind of friendships that you should have in your life to where those kind of things are happening between brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not saying like this could be an accessory to your Christian life. He's saying, no, this is, this is what the Christian life looks like. If you wanna bear fruit, if you want to embrace the trajectory that Jesus has for you, those are the kind of responsible friendships we're called to have. That's what he paints for us. He makes it very clear that that we're called to have one of these kind of loving relationships. And we know that those kind of friendships can only happen if love is its foundation, right? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Chapter 12, Paul talks about the nature of the church, that he has wired and gifted and raised up people with different qualities that were all members of the same body and connected, and there's a dependency there. And then in chapter 13, let me just read those verses to you, that love has to be the foundation of this kind of friendship. He says this in verse one of 13, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul would say, listen, you are a body bound together dependent upon each other, but growth can only happen. Those kind of responsible friendships can only happen if love is its foundation, right? Uh, that Man, I, I could be true about all the things theologically about the word of God, but if I don't come to my brother or sister with that foundation of, of love for them, then Paul even says that's doesn't amount to much, it's nothing. It's not gonna bear the kind of fruit that you want. And so, listen, church, we are responsible for those kind of friendships. That kind of culture in our church family. And we are responsible to make sure that the foundation of those dependent friendships and relationships is love. So in our responsibility towards one another, we take the initiative. That's what we see in verses 19 through 20. Uh, we see someone who has wandered from the truth and that friend, that friend that knows this one and loves them says, gosh, they've wandered from the truth. And they don't wait for an invite. They initiate. They go after to intercede or intervene where this person is in their wandering. You see, typically a person who wanders, depending upon how far they've wandered, it's really hard for them to see where they are. 
It's kind of hard to see in the dark. Any of you been to the natural caverns before? Y'all gone in there and they take you down this wonderful path and you see all these beautiful formations. You get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper till you can't go any further. And what do they do when you get there? What do they do? They turn the lights off. It's scary. It's scary. I mean, you can't, you can't see anything. You can't see anything. Well, I think that's, that's what it's like. You know, we would like for the person to, who has wandered for, for them just to come to their own senses, and they can. We see that story in the prodigal son. The Spirit of God can do that kind of work, but I think the Spirit of God has also wired us and made this community faith in such a way that we are called to bring light to the one in darkness, right? That we've got to take the initiative because the person at the bottom of that cavern who's wandered off that path can't even see the hand in front of their face, And so we are called to take the initiative as a brother and sister in Christ, not hide our candle under a bushel, no, but to take that light and take the initiative to bring that to our brother and sister in Christ who has wandered. We're responsible for that, to that, and we are called to take that kind of initiative. But how are we to do that? This is is where we really struggle. Danny, how in the world am I going to do that, they're gonna call me hypocrite because I have my own sin to deal with and they're gonna say, how dare you judge me? Well, I think the, the, the scripture gives a lot of guidelines. How in the world are you to bring light in a way that is going, that person is most inclined to receive those accountability nudges? Um, Paul in Galatians chapter six says it like this. In verse one, dear brothers and sisters, if anyone, if any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, they've wandered away from the truth, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And and so um, Paul gives us some wonderful instruction, right? You have this responsible friendship with this person that you love. That's the foundation of your relationship with them. I, I am patient with them. I am hopeful with them. I will rejoice in the truth. I will remind them of the promises of God. I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs. And with that kind of foundation of love, I'm going to bring light into a dark place where they've wandered off to. And I'm going to do it humbly and gently. Right? Jesus talked about this. Goodness, if you're gonna go to your brother and tell him to get the log out, uh, the, the, the speck of dust out of it, you better be, you better be kind of self-aware about the own log you have in your own eye. G- I mean, again, Pastor James is kind of using the same kind of language here, uh, and Paul's using the same kind of language of Jesus. You're responsible to go to your brother, but you need to do it with grave humility, knowing that you are just as broken and have tasted the same kind of sin that they have. You, you're just as sinful. You've been forgiven a sin. So you do it humbly, not presumptuously, not self-righteously. Oh, look how I've arrived. No, Paul says do it humbly, keenly aware that you can fall just as fast as they can. That's why Paul says be careful, though. You don't fall too. And then he says gently, gently. You go to that person gently. The aim of holding this person accountable, who you love, you've, you've, you've cultivated this kind of relationship with them, the, the, the aim is for them to return, right? 
And the best way for that possibly to happen is if you do that with a lot of humility and if you do that gently. Gently. As opposed to how dare you? How could you? Do you see what you're doing? This is horrible. If you are a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. No. And maybe it's helpful if when we go to bring the light to that person to invite them to come back, and maybe, maybe it's better to ask kind of probing, insightful questions rather than accusations. Hey, sister, do you, do you know where you are? Why are you, why are you doing the things that you're doing right now in your life? How, how is that going? Do you know that God has greater promises for us than that? Gently and humbly. Still risky. We don't like this. It's still risky to do that. I mean, you could offend them, that you could lose a relationship. But James says, regardless of the risk of it and, and the fear that we can have, because we don't do this all that well, we don't do it often. He says, you're you're obligated to be responsible for that and to take the initiative to do it. The truth is, that kind of accountability that we're talking about here is not just taking shape when they have gone a mile off the path, right? And, and sometimes we wait for that to happen. Like, we intervene when it's there. And that's necessary. But I think, ideally, these kind of humble, gentle nudgings of accountability happen all along the way. Right? That's why we have these kind of responsible friendships that all along the way, there's this give and take. You know, you, you hold me accountable. I'll hold you accountable. Listen, if there's, there's this character in me that's welling up that is, doesn't look like Jesus at all, will you tell me? And then that person just all along the way can say, hey, I'm seeing this. I love you. I'm seeing this. How can, how, you know, you need to sharpen this. So ideally, it's happening all along the way, but sometimes it, has, it happens when they're a mile off the path. But we want the kind of relationships where it's happening as we see them happen. So the truth is, um, I don't really have that many relationships like that in my life. I don't feel like there are that many Friendships where these kind of things are happening on a regular basis. The, the best and closest example that I have of that in my life is with my wife, Anna. Um, Anna and I have the kind of relationship where she has the freedom and responsibility to hold me accountable, as it should be. I think that should happen in marriage. And the reason why that can happen with Anna and myself is because I trust her right? I trust Anna. Um, I know she's not trying just to beat me down or uh, to criticize me. Now, there was a season in my marriage where that's how I would interpret that kind of stuff, but not anymore. Uh, we're in a place in our marriage where we are present with one another. We trust each other, and there's a kind of friendship, a safety to where if I come alongside Anna and say, hey babe, you need to reconsider that, the way you've responded to this situation. She's gonna give that some thought. 
and vice versa. If she identifies a part of my character or something I've said and done and said, Danny, I just, I don't think that's gracious at all. I don't think that was sensitive to that person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna consider that. But that only has come by way of building that kind of friendship and relationship. And that's the most natural place it should happen. But it shouldn't just happen with my relationship with my wife. Or, or your relationship with your spouses or closest friends. It should happen there, but it should be, there should be multiple points, maybe two or three other points where we have built those and forged those kind of responsible initiative-taking kind of friendships. We're encouraging words, praying with and for, confession of sin can take place. What's the result in verse 20? The result is this. You can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is why this kind of culture and friendship is a big deal for James, is that uh, uh, forgiveness of sin and restoration of life happens in those kind of initiative, responsible friendships. The reward is well worth the risk, James would say to us. It's, it's well worth the risk of my vulnerability and uh, me coming off as a hypocrite or being judgmental to come and nudge this person back onto the path. But isn't that exactly how Jesus lived? I pointed back to John chapter 15. We have Jesus, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us, the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God, who didn't stay far away, but he drew close to us. He became tangibly present among his disciples, and he bound himself to them, and he said, you will be my friends, and I'm gonna be your friend, and I'm gonna walk with you all along the way, and you're gonna watch me and model me, and you're going to obey me and I'm going to nudge you and I'm going to hold you accountable. And he says, it's in that nearness and that drawing near that we experience discipleship and becoming more and more like Jesus. And so Jesus set the model for us. He set the paradigm for us for what it looks like to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Jesus says, do what I do. Love how I love. Disciple how I disciple. And so that's, that's the challenge for every single one of us, myself included, is will I take those kind of steps that the incarnate Son of God did? Will I come close to another brother or two or three? We can't do it with everybody. Jesus didn't do it with everybody. Did it with 12. He said, I'm gonna draw near to these men. I'm gonna bind myself. Will you bind yourself to someone? Will you identify two or three men in your life or two or three women in your life that, that extend beyond the walls of this worship gathering, end of Sunday school, and you're gonna say, we're gonna figure out how to do discipleship together, how to confess sin to one another, encourage each other, hold each other accountable. I'm ready to take that kind of step. Will you do that today?
Um, in a moment, uh, Drill Flowers is going to come up and continue to press that challenge into us. Will you consider your next steps in forging meaningful, responsible, initiative-taking friendships with brothers and sisters? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for your son, God with us, who drew near to the disciples. And Lord, help us to do the same with others. Help us to have these kind of friendships and relationships that produce fruit where confession, accountability happen. Lord, help us now listen and help us respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.